A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Penn Holderness. And welcome to the Holderness Family Podcast. I'm going to try to make it through this episode without passing out from excitement and nervousness. Penn has been throwing out the name Andy Weir for years in our house. He's had our children read his books. Andy Weir comes up, I would say, weekly Mm -hmm. as a a writer, just his ideas, and is is an inspiration for Penn. So when Penn said, I'd like to interview Andy Weir on our podcast, and then he emailed back the shriek (laughs) that you heard. Penn works in the attic, so it's like, you know, floor number three is the attic. I was outside downstairs with the dog and you thought it was like an old lady who'd fallen down the stairs or something right no i mean (laughs) the old ladies are tough they're fine they're not going to scream like i'm just talking about the register yes the the register was high and it was as if your high school crush had texted you back well he kind of did although not high school okay let's back up Andy Weir wrote The Martian. That's probably how most people would would know that name. The Martian became this blockbuster hit, right? With Matt Damon as the star. Right. But on top of that, he is he's been he's had access to NASA. He's had access to SpaceX. And if you're a regular here, you know that Penn is a space nerd. Right. And, and the, I say nerd with love. Oh he, no. He 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 get this is the the genre of books Penn likes to read. <laughs> They want to. They want to make it. It's called hard science fiction. Why do you always do that with it, the H when you use hard, hard science fiction? <laughs> it's almost as if it's more. They're trying to make it sexy, you know. Anyway, or, yeah, or embarrassing. Oh. I don't know. It, but here's here's what hard science fiction is. It's science fiction where there's a real sense of accountability on physics mm-hmm. and on the feasibility of things. And so Andy sort of he, he is he's the best hard science fiction writer there is out there because he adds humanity and hope and personality and character development to a real knowledge of orbital physics which he's obviously taken enough time to learn about to the point that he's on he, like he's in a documentary about Mars that Nat Geo put together like he's being interviewed about this mm-hmm. so can I ask you, yeah. we, we, we have yet to interview Andy. We're about to, he's about right. to at any moment click into the Zoom meeting. So yes. Penn is a little anxious. Yeah. What is it about this author in particular? Because you're not, you have a very specific genre you like mm-hmm. to read, but you, I wouldn't call you an you read, but you're not somebody that can't, you know, oh, he can't put a book down. But any anything he publishes you get so excited about what is it about Andy that you find very inspiring and why did you want to talk to him today? Well, for starters, the way that I unwind when it comes to reading is escaping the world or anything normal. I don't normally read books about going to the beach and finding love <laughs> because I did that with my wife. I found love. That's why I, I want to read a book about something that I'll probably never be able to experience. So it'll take me on that journey. And that was the case. Like Dune was my favorite book growing up. I loved Isaac Asimov growing up, which apparently Andy did as well. And I like to, I like to leave this earth if I can, or 
or go into the future or go somewhere that I'll never see when I'm reading a book. And so he checks that box with going to Mars or in his most recent book, which I think might have been better than The Martian, going to the sun to try to save the earth by assembling. Kim? Penn loves a book where they assemble the best in their field. Yeah. So assembling the best in their field. But on top of it, there is this crazy amount of self-awareness, self-deprecation and humor that Andy puts into these very grave situations. It's, I think it's what I use to deflect some levels of anxiety, definitely some levels of ADHD and certainly any sort of trauma or sadness that I have in my life. And he does it, man. He does it and he does it in a hopeful, happy way. And so I want to like, I want to know this person who's writing. I've been fascinated by him because I don't, I, I don't think that we're just alike, but he has to have some of the traits that you and I have, Kim, which is a real self-awareness that we, that our brain doesn't necessarily work like everybody else's. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, he has talked openly about uh, struggles with depression and anxiety, and you can sort of see that in the characters as well. I think we should get to, we should cut to the interview at this point. Absolutely. But I just, I am a little worried. That? Sometimes when we meet our heroes. Oh, that he's going to be a dick? Yeah. I don't think so. Well, uh. I mean, what if? Honestly, I'm still going to read his books. That's how good his books are. Okay. He, but so I. So I just want you to be prepared okay. that not, not, it's not all the time that yeah. we get to talk to somebody we admire so much. And if yeah. they let you down, I'm here for you, babe. And I have a prediction. Yeah. I think that you, I think that you are going to make a, a great connection with him. I'm going to get his cell phone number. We're going to start texting. I think, and it's not going to make me jealous. Like, I don't mind watching. <laughs> it's like, I am totally fine with you making a connection with him because I do think, I think one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to Andy is the same reason why I'm drawn to you. Aww. I think that you guys have a lot in common. I think that you... Does he does he cry at the drop of a hat and get anxious for no reason? Oh, you know, I don't know, but I do think that he has an energy about him, at least in his books. It's so funny. I've never met him. Yeah. That's like okay. Do you remember that book with uh, the Nims Island? Yeah. Where Jodie Foster is like she writes about this adventure and then she's like a crazy agoraphobic. Yeah. Like what if that happens? I know. Do you want to read his official intro so people know who sure. we're dealing with you, here? You can read it with me, babe. Uh, Andy Weir is an American novelist and you may not know a former computer programmer. He was raised in California, the son of a physicist and an engineer. He got his first computer programming job at the age of 15 for Sandia. He also worked for AOL and Palm and even worked on programming a Warcraft video game. Then he took to writing sci-fi first on his website. His first published novel, The Martian, was available for free on his website. But after fans implored him to make it available on Kindle, it was, it was touted by the Wall Street Journal as the best pure sci-fi in years. It ultimately became a blockbuster movie starring Jessica Chastain and Matt Damon. His most recent book, Project Hail Mary, was another bestseller and is in development as a movie starring Ryan Gosling. Weir is married. Uh, his wife's name is Ashley. They met in Los Angeles while he was pitching a TV series. They have a son who's two years old, which should be very exciting to try to write with a two-year-old. Welcome, Andy Weir. Sure. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Penn is acting very chill right now. <laughs> 
but well, I don't want you to realize what a stalker. No, he's not a stalker. No, I don't. I don't want to freak you out with what a big fan he is. So uh, we're just going to pretend. We're just going to pretend this is totally normal. I'm just going to act like this is not a big deal. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's not. <laughs> it's not a big deal. If you're this impressed by like a Z-list celebrity, boy. <laughs> <laughs> he's met some fancy is, people. So if you were. At the movie shoot with like Ryan Gosling and Matt Damon, I would completely ignore them. But like, that's all I'm going to say. Like, let's just, let's just, let's just, we're going to move on. <laughs> that's really sweet. I, 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 I am very impressed by you, but I may be just following Ryan Gosling around, but that's fine. Um, that seems reasonable. I mean, I would too, and I'm not even gay. <laughs> Everyone's a little bit gay. Every, we, we all have our limits. I mean, yeah. yes. there's, there's only so there's only so heterosexual you can be. Right. <laughs> and I mean, we've all got our. Yeah. And then when you're. We with, talk about this actually I know, on I the think podcast. It's a spectrum. And I think Matt Damon and Ryan Gosling. And honestly, let's add Ryan Reynolds in there. I, mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know that he's attached to an Andy Weir no, book but yet. He, but he I mean, could I be. think you. Maybe he'll I think play maybe Rocky. Your next book. Uh, I I'm not convinced Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling are different people. <laughs> They're both Canadian. I mean, they're both Canadians. Yeah. They're both Ryan. They're both, you know, national treasures. <laughs> they are. I don't know. They are. They are. You're a very prolific writer. You've done a lot of amazing things. But I oh, am very curious as a sci-fi writer. <laughs> I just want to know, what is your theory about these UFOs and balloons we're seeing in the sky? <laughs> well, the, the balloons are spy balloons. I mean, right. yes. pretty straightforward. Those are spy um, balloons. But the other UFOs were saying. I think they're just, you know, test aircraft or whatever else. I don't I don't think they're aliens. You don't? Oh, <laughs> I'm man. sorry to be boring. Aww. But I, I don't think that if aliens visited Earth, they would be so, like, circumspect, you know? Mm-hmm. What would they do? I'm not sure. It would depend on... It would depend on why they're here and their level of technology. There's, like, there's a lot of schools of thought about it. The first school of thought is that, like, the aliens just wouldn't care because they're so far advanced beyond us, we're not worth their notice. Yes. Kind of like when you're, uh, I think the analogy is, if you're building a freeway overpass somewhere, you don't stop and talk to the anthill. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, they, they just wouldn't care. Another approach that science fiction authors like to use is aliens would see us as sort of a Galapagos Islands kind of thing it's like ooh, this is studied. a unique ecology yeah um it's it's worth studying but we need to not interfere with it or mess with it mm. you know you got your prime directive style star trek aliens who are like oh, okay this this society's primitive and we need to protect it from outside influence and other than that we need to stay and just let it develop naturally that's a fun science fiction way of looking mm-hmm. at things but again for aliens like that, you've got to imagine that their technology would be so far in excess of our own that they wouldn't accidentally get caught yes. on shaky cell phone video, right? <laughs> I was, I mean, and, and here's my thought. I mean, if we are going to be taken over by alien overlords... Wow, you went straight I to went, that. I really okay. went, I, went, I, I, I was doomsday. talking about basically alien environmentalists. No, and you're like, no. You were like... You're like Hail reptars. Yes. No, seriously. But here's the thing. I have said this. I would like to just go first. I don't think I have the fight in me to survive an an alien attack. I I just don't feel like I should be taking up resources. So if the aliens (laughs) overlords come, I just would like to be the first gone. Just just the first gone. Yeah. 
I myself would attempt to be a sympathizer. Okay. Uh, oh, like I'd Ken Brockman. Like, hail, yes, hail ants. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for one, can be counted on to to drag the fellow humans into your underground sugar caves yeah. to toil yes. away. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> I, I, for one, welcome our new alien overlord. He knows what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he quotes that hey, very um, often. Andy, why do you like writing about space? I don't know. Why does anybody like anything? It's like space is my hobby, right? Space. I'm a space dork. That's what I'm into. Mm -hmm. If I was a gearhead, I'd be writing about cars. If I was a gardener, I'd be writing about plants. But everybody has their hobbies, interests, and passions. And mine happens to be like space flight. Not so much astronomy, although I do think you know, there's there's a lot of astronomy that I think is really cool, but like so, the natural bodies in space are are cool. I think that's neat. But really, I like spaceships. You know, <laughs> things that we built and sent into space, either with or without people aboard, whatever. That that sort of stuff is just insanely cool to me. And yeah. so, mm. that's well, what I read about. Just to follow up, though, you're not just writing about space. You're writing about people and challenges and real drama up there and and you do have a gift for that so where I, that's well, what thank I, you i want to know where that comes from well it usually starts with the science i start by thinking about oh wouldn't it be cool this scientific thing and then yeah, it stories develop from there so you know for the martian my initial thought was like how would we get humans to mars and back mm-hmm. okay and, and i wasn't even thinking about this in terms of writing a story, I was just daydreaming. I'm like, how would we do, you know, a mission to Mars with our current technology or maybe some slight advances, you know, if that was like, if we're really putting or making it an objective, I don't like the home and transfer nonsense of like Mm. having to leave them there for like 18 months. What if you used ion engines that way they have a lot more control over when they go, when they come, how long it takes to get there. They have abort options. I like that. Okay. Then how do we get them there? The, the whole it largely invented by Robert Zubrin, Mars Direct approach of like, send your launch vehicle in advance, have it slowly make its fuel out of Mars's atmosphere and solar power and, and so on. And so that that whole mission profile I put together in my head, and I was like, oh, this is fun. This is the dorky sort of stuff I like to do. And then I'm like, well, what if this went wrong? It, the mission needs to account for that. Like, what if this goes wrong? How do they fix it? What if that goes wrong? Uh, if they have to abort, can they can they abort? Can they safely abort? And what if all these, what if multiple things go wrong at once? And the kind of increasingly desperate things the crew would have to do to stay alive started to sound pretty interesting. And I was like, okay, well, what if I isolate an astronaut into that situation? I say like, everybody thinks he's dead, they're left, he's gone, he's stranded there. That's that's a pretty interesting story. And then I had already created this, this whole, you know, mission architecture. And so that defined kind of the resources he had available. And for Artemis, also known as that other book Andy Weir wrote, because <laughs> Project Hail Mary is really popular, The Martian's real popular. People often say, Andy Weir, author of The Martian and Project Hail Mary. <laughs> there was another I'm one. Like, I liked oh, Artemis. Was di- Artemis was different. It, <laughs> Artemis felt a little more punk. It was, um, well, yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got stuff to say about that. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. so for Artemis, I started out with the design of, like I said, what is humanity's first like permanent settlement, like a city that is not on Earth? What's it going to be like? That's where that speculation began. I'm like, is it going to be a city in orbit? Is it going to be on Mars? Is it going to be on the moon? Is it going to be in the asteroid belt? And I finally decided, well, the moon makes the most sense because it's, uh, it, it's got resources that you can make use of to build your city. 
unlike Earth orbit, where literally every gram of that city would have to be launched into orbit. On the moon, you can you can make use of local materials, which is what they do. And I, I went through all the details of how you would go about building the city of Artemis and like what how it works and everything like that, and then why it exists. I went through this whole economic explanation of basically the price to low Earth orbit gets low enough that people can afford vacations into space. And another one was the 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 economy of a city. It's like why why build a city anywhere? It's like, okay, forget Artemis. Why does like, you know, why does Piedmont exist? Yeah. You know, <laughs> why, why does, why, why, why does uh, Pocatello, Idaho exist? And you'll find every single city that exists, exists for some economic reason. It was, it was initially founded for some reason. It was either a convenient place to set up a logging camp or it's on a river and there's a natural like inlet that's a good place to build a port or it, or something there's always some reason why the city is where it is and why people accumulated there so for artemis i decided it's going to be tourism Mm-hmm. It's they built it right next to the Apollo 11 landing site. And that's the thing that people think is cool. And they're willing to travel to go see it. OK. And so that that's kind of where that is. Like, notice that entire explanation I gave you. There's not a single character or personality <laughs> or human being involved in that. It's all just there's no Matt Damon in there. Yeah, there's. No, yeah. Well, or, or just that's where where my stories start is with the science. Yeah. And with Project Tail Mary. That was a little more complicated because it was a pastiche of a bunch of different story ideas I had. If anybody's listening to this and you haven't read Project Hail Mary yet, I, I don't know what to tell you. You're, you're <laughs> going to get some spoilers. Yeah, I always wanted to do a first contact story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I start off with the scientific curiosity and then I kind of say like, okay, here's the neat thing. Now I need some characters to encounter the neat thing. And we will be right back. This show is sponsored by Care Of. Pen, the birds are singing. Mm-hmm. The the buds are on the tree. Yes. Winter is finally turning into spring. Yeah, you're a big fan of the spring. And you know, I also love the sun finally coming out from hiding. And you know me, the cold weather just wreaks havoc on my skin, my energy levels, everything. And that is why you've, Kim, you've been trying the Care Of vitamin packs? Yep, they have these daily packs that you can take on the go, like ceramides, which help reinforce your skin's protective barrier, and iron for energy levels. Yeah, it's awesome because all you do to get started is take a short online quiz about your lifestyle and your health goals, and Care Of will give you doctor-backed recommendations. And they ship high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. And something new at Care Of, if you're not yet ready to subscribe to monthly packs, some of their best-selling vitamins are now also available in bottles. For 50% off your first Care Of subscription order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code HOLDERNESS50. That's 50% off your first Care Of subscription order at TakeCareOf.com and use code HOLDERNESS50. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Penn, you know I'm always looking for a snack that's both nutritious and tasty. Both a little snacky, yes. Uh, but of course, the healthy stuff tastes like sand, and the stuff that tastes good isn't healthy, right? Not IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are a quick, low-carb option that I love to grab for my midday slump. 
So start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. Get seven IQ Bar flavors, four IQ Mix flavors, and four IQ Joe flavors. And today, our listeners get an exclusive offer for 20% off plus free shipping. Just text Holderness to 64000, which is 64000. All IQ Bar products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMO, and artificial sweeteners. Plus, they're packed with high-quality ingredients to keep you physically and mentally fit. And they have a bunch of delicious flavors like chocolate sea salt, which is my favorite, peanut butter chip, and wild blueberry. Don't forget over 10,000 five-star reviews and counting. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text HOLDERNESS to 64000. Get your discount. Text HOLDERNESS to 64000. That's HOLDERNESS to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. I find your story so inspiring because you were a software engineer for 20 years? Is that 25. 25 yeah. years. I love software engineers. We need them. Important part. Of, and I, I know several. They aren't the people in my life that are prolific writers or creating characters. <laughs> Very curious, wonderful people. So a li- I was a little bit surprised when I learned that about you. Did writing start as a hobby? And, 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 and tell me how you turned that into a full-time job. Well, I mean, I, I, I always wanted to be a writer. Like ever since I was a, a kid, ever since, I mean, I, I was writing. I think the first thing I ever wrote was a Henry and Ribs and uh, Henry and Ribsy fan fiction when I was six. Uh-huh. So Henry and Ribsy are the uh, Beverly Cleary books for children about a boy and his dog. So I've always been writing stories. When I was, you know, a tween, I would write short stories just in my notebook and stuff like that. And then just so I was always writing. I was always like imagining stories and writing them. Um, Usually science fiction, almost always, you know that cool stuff going on in space yeah. usually about a kid approximately my age yes. having some sort of adventure right yeah. and then um what when the time came a, a, as i got older and now i'm like 18 and it's time for me to go to college i honestly had to stop and think about like do i want to be a professional author but i also i'd been dicking around with computers and i really enjoyed that yeah right and so I was like, I could either go for B and software engineering was really on the rise. This was 1990 when yeah. I turned 18 because I'm exceptionally old. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> we're getting there too. We're man. getting there too. We're, yeah. we're just short. I was you. born in the 1900s. <laughs> yeah. Software engineering was clearly becoming a new industry that was going to take off. And I mean, everyone knew it. And so I was like, well, I could either be a, a writer or I could be a computer programmer. It's time to go to college. I, I, I had to make up my mind. And I wanted to be a writer, but I also wanted regular meals. Yeah. So I decided to be a computer programmer, but writing was always my passion. Although to be fair, I really enjoyed programming in computers. I, I had fun. I liked that mm-hmm. profession. I, I had a good time. But I was still writing as a as a hobby. What is it? Late 90s, I got laid off from America Online. Mm. And I had enough money from the severance package that I could go a couple of years without having to work. So I spent that time writing a book. And that book didn't get published. Couldn't find an agent, couldn't find a publisher, interest, just no interest What at was all. that like? Can I ask you? Because I, I well, read that in your Well, the usual tale of woe. It was like, 
I, it was it was half oh man I can't break in this industry is so hard and half eh, this book's not that good. <laughs> You know, okay. I can kind of understand why, you know, <laughs> well, cause was, we, yeah, we'll work on something and we'll spend a day on it or two days on it and then we'll watch it and be like, oh, it's not that good. And it pains us to hit the delete button. So, to yeah. I mean, your your book, it was a full it was like 70,000 words or something like that. I mean, it was it was intense. Well, The Martian, you mean? No, 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 no. no. Your first book. The first one. They oh, didn't. the first one. Well, the very first one, they no didn't one get knows published. about. Oh, no. Oh. Right. Oh, yeah, no. the very first one I wrote, I was in college. It was called The Observer. And thank God I wrote that before the era of the internet. So it's it's just like you, you can't hard find copies. It. <laughs> yeah, you, it's not in any digital form anywhere. And it's awful. Do you feel like you have to kind of let the sludge out? I, you know, if there's yeah. aspiring writers listening to this, you have to write some bad first books, bad first. Well, drafts. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that you, you know, have to like. Yeah. I wouldn't call it let the sludge out. I would just call it just. It's just like any other skill. You need to do it a bunch to get better at it. Um, I don't think there's really any such thing as someone who's like a phenomenal author right out of the gate. Got it. Like. I wrote hundreds of thousands of words worth of short stories and two full-length novels and stuff before I even started The Martian. I mean, I you have to suck for a long time before you stop sucking at something. <laughs> and writing is no different than like woodworking or 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 art. You know, you see those people who are like incredibly talented at art. If you looked at the early stuff they did, it would suck. Yeah. Right? I mean. Yeah, I, I guess there are actually like um, naturally phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, naturally phenomenal artists who could just kind of draw what they see perfectly. Um, but that's rare. Yeah. Most artists have to get better. You know, we um, and, so, yeah, we have yeah. available on YouTube videos of Kim and I as news anchors in mm -hmm. very very small markets, and we look absolutely we look like we're Terrifying. being held at gunpoint to talk about a basketball game or whatever yeah. it is that we're talking about so i know i i, I do subscribe to that malcolm gladwell like uh, what is it ten thousand hour thing yeah exactly the raptors today <laughs> yeah. managed to end it on a three-point buzzer shot how did you get access to his please tape? let my yeah. daughter go Yep. Right. So, so yeah. he's a Raptors fan being from probably having, I'm not sure why you're a Raptor. You're a Canadian. I'm not. I, okay. I picked a team at random. Yeah. Okay. Go sports teams. <laughs> I, I couldn't like, if yeah. you put a gun to my head, I probably couldn't name three. You're fine. I'm well, big into baseball. Like okay. baseball's my sport. Baseball's um, your sport. Lo lo love baseball. I like uh, football. Um, uh, basketball. I am utterly ignorant about mm. like, so. But I, you went with I, the Raptors. Like my, yeah, that, well, I, I needed team? a team. Is it, is I mean, I'm in yes. Illinois. I, I, I'm in the Chicago area right now. I guess I should have said the Bulls, but well, they're not very good right now, so that's fine. So I needed a team. I'm like, brain, quick. <laughs> Wait, there's good. no time to explain. <laughs> oh my gosh! So what just happened is a perfect segue to what I want to talk about next because I want to know more about your brain, Andy. I do. I want to know more about your brain because I do believe that you're writing. I'm fast forwarding through the tough years and into these books and this content that I've consumed. And it's extremely digestible for the neurodiverse community. And 
And on this podcast, we talk about it a lot. I have ADHD. You can figure it out within five seconds of meeting me. My wife struggles, lives with, and in some cases uh, conquers, but also succumbs to anxiety on occasion. And so we are two neurodiverse brains. And your, your books speak to, I think, me because of the, the problem solving, the challenging aspect of it that helps me follow it. Um, but then on top of all of that, just this great sense of hope. And then most importantly, self-awareness in all of your main characters. There's a ton of self-awareness. So I want to know what your brain looks like. Uh, I mean, I... I- <laughs> I, I I would classify myself as also kind of neurodiverse, although that's a kind of a new term. Uh, I, I've had a lifelong struggle with anxiety mm. uh, and earlier in life, a serious problem with depression. Mm. I, I guess I'm more in the Kim camp. I never, yeah. I don't have a problem with ADD or ADHD or anything like that because I, I'm actually, uh, I'm pretty good at concentrating on a single thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. In fact, I enjoy it. But for many years, in my 20s, in my early 20s, when I was in college, I went through a bout of, like, debilitating depression. Mm. Like, I had broken up with my girlfriend, and at the time, I thought, oh, I'm just sad because of that. But it lasted for, like, a year and a half, mm. where I was, like, a non-functional human. I'm like, okay, like, this is not just, whatever this is, it's not just because I broke up with my girlfriend, all right? Because, mm-hmm. like, this is, like, too so much. much worse. Yeah, it's and it's like I'm not even thinking about her. I'm just miserable now. You know, it's like 18 months mm-hmm. of just like sleeping 15 hours a day and yeah. and just uh, you know, basically just being a non-functional human being. And I so there was something chemical going on, I'm yeah. pretty sure. I did eventually slowly come out of it. So I think it's like something like you reach a I don't know the pharmacology, but like you, the bad chemicals come and then they ebb away after a while when you're in your twenties, whatever. But regardless of that, I've had a lifelong problem with anxiety. And I know that chemical, the brain chemical wise, and I'm not a doctor, you know, but brain chemical wise, I know anxiety and depression are kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. And oftentimes the medications that help with one will help with another. I've had anxiety issues since I was a kid, you know, like much more nervous and anxious about, you know, things that then is, then is productive. What sucks is like, I'm old enough that like when I was a teenager and a young adult, it it was the eighties and nineties. And at the time there was an understanding that, okay, depression is a thing. Yeah. When they just invented like Prozac. Right. (laughs) And so the first of the, uh, what's that category? SSRI. SSRIs. Yeah. So that was like they just started SSRI technology, but that was for depression. And so they go like, uh, okay, that's cool. Um, but for anxiety, generally, it was like, oh, what you need are some breathing exercises Correct. or yeah. suck it up and stop being such a yes basically what yeah. I would get for anxiety advice. Yeah. It was like, why, what do you have to be worried about? Like, why yeah. Are why so are you worried? Why are you just, worried? You know, it's like, it's like the the uh, Barney Stinson advice. Whenever I'm sad, I just don't be sad and I be awesome instead. <laughs> yes. Works every time. Works you know, every time. <laughs> but for anxiety, you know, I was going to I was going to group therapies. I was doing all these mm-hmm. things. I've I've had the same therapist for twenty plus years. Oh wow! Um, and he's great. Basically, in in days of yore, 
Uh, and he's good at getting to the root of problems and stuff like that. That's the psychological stuff. He's not a psychologist. He's not the kind that does medicines. Psychiatrists do medicine. Psychologists okay. do the talk therapy. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. He's a therapist, yeah. right? Yeah. But anyway, it, but yeah, for so long, it was always just like, oh, here's some breathing exercises you can do mm. to calm it down. I'm like, that's like throwing a bucket of water on a forest fire. It's yeah. like, okay. No, that doesn't help. It yeah. doesn't help. I'm still, I'm still like stay up all night, like, or or, it, it's the kind of thing. And, and I, I'm really glad to be on this show because mental health awareness is is like my my pet issue, so mm-hmm. to speak. This is what I always want to talk about, and I always have my spiel that I want to say is like to whomever is listening. Although I'm sure your listeners have all heard this before, but to whomever is listening, if you if you have a mental health issue, be it depression or anxiety or something else, you you cannot solve it by yourself any more than if you broke your leg and you try to solve that by yourself. Right. Okay, you need you need medical professionals to help you with it. You need some sort of intervention from a third party to help you with this problem. Mm-hmm. And just as if you've broken like your femur, you need immediate help, and then you need to do the therapy. Mm-hmm. In the femur case, it's physical therapy. In the mental case, it's therapy therapy. But you you have to do that, and it's work, and it's annoying. But there's a real, you know, there's a lot of stigma about mental health issues. And people are like, if you break your leg, everyone immediately understands, oh, yeah, I get it. I understand why you can't walk. You broke your leg. And it's like... But if you're suffering from like a clinical depression, people don't understand. It's like, why can't you get out of bed? Right. It's like, you've got muscles, you're healthy, get out of bed. Yeah. You know? And so- Because people can see the cast and they can't see the other stuff. Well, Um, they, they can also immediately understand the concept of like- pain and a body part not working Mm -hmm. like because everyone in the world has had that happen Mm -hmm. not necessarily breaking a leg but everyone in the world has been physically harmed at some point or not been able to use part of their body because it's really sore or Mm -hmm. or got hurt like everyone has experienced that but not everyone has experienced debilitating depression or anxiety finally what happened was this ties into my really you say neurodivergent i would say like probability divergent lifestyle (laughs) where i ended up like so after the martian was popular it was being made into a movie i got invited to nasa i got invited to jsc johnson space center in houston i lived in california at the time and i had a debilitating fear of flying as Mm. part of my anxiety issues so I said, like, I have got to do this. I have a chance to go spend a week getting VIP tours at Johnson Space Center. And they're just they're just thrilled to have me there because they loved the Martian. And I'm like, I have got to go there. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to my doctor and I said, I need to be able to fly. I have a <laughs> give I, me all uh, you got, Doc. <laughs> give me whatever you got. Give me an in-flight anesthesiologist. I, I don't care. Yes. I, I need to be able to fly. And they she referred me to a psych psychiatrist and and that psychiatrist not to be confused with the therapist said like okay well let's talk and i'm like we don't need to talk you need to give me pills that (laughs) knock me on my ass (laughs) cart me onto the wheelchair i'm gonna have people with me yeah to to, like to take care of me i'm gonna have my my parents will be with me to kind of pour me into the seat (laughs) and then pull me out of the plane like i'll have people take care of me i don't need to be self 
functioning. Yeah. I'm not going to drive. Just give me something that will knock me on my ass. And she's like, okay, okay. <laughs> take a breath. We'll do that. But I want to talk to you about understanding what's going on in your brain. And so, which is great because she did. And she said like, okay, I think you have like general anxiety disorder. And I think you should try these long-term medications. Mm. Right. And also here's Valium to get you on the plane. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So here's the thing that knocks you on your ass that you requested. There you go. That takes care of the immediate problem. But I think you should be taking these other pills long-term. So. And I'm still taking them. And it, they, it, it's weird. It's uh, I don't know if you're taking anything, Kim, but um, it, it dramatically improved my life, but it did so so slowly that I didn't notice. Like, so it's so slow. The the it's just a gradual improvement over time, and I'm still more anxious than the average person. But things that used to just put me into an absolute tizzy are now just like things that are like annoying. Well, okay. And then, okay, here's my journey with the meds. So in the, in the 90s, I was in college. It was the first time on the Prozacs. And that, did, that, that helped a lot until it didn't. And, oh. then, and then it just stopped working. And then I kind of was like, I, and it's also one of those things where I'm like, I don't need it anymore. I'm cured. I'm fine because you're taking oh, the medicine. Oh, that's you, the worst I know, mistake. I know. So I got off and because I was like, I don't need it. I'm healed. I'm healed. And I'm then, all better now. I'm all better that's now. That's when you find out that you can't just stop. Stop. <laughs> so I, but I did for many, for many years had, after my second child was born, had really scary oh, postpartum. Even better. Yes, I so mixed like even better. You have like hormones. Yeah. So that plus postpartum yes. stuff. Yeah, oh, like my the postpartum anxiety was so bad that I couldn't walk while carrying my baby. I would like go down the stairs on my butt because I was like I just had these really bad intrusive thoughts. I couldn't drive. It was terrible. So I got back on meds then, and I stayed on them for about nine years, and then I did the thing again where I'm like. I am healed. I'm I'm, cured. I'm, fine. Um, I'm fine. And so I've been sort of on and off, but my issue with the meds and Penn was on ADHD meds for a while, but I, because we write, we write a lot of comedy and we write these goofy yeah. songs and sketches and I it felt, does take the edge off. It you. takes the edge off in a way that it makes my, it made my brain feel a little bit like cotton candy. So I am not opposed yep. to medicine. In fact, I think I definitely need some but i'm i need to have patience and grace of letting my giving my body time to experiment with something else because there's been changes since i've been on them recently because i don't and i i'm curious like do you feel as do you feel as creative creative it's like um it's like my creativity um used to be like a a really spiky thing with lots of sharp edges and now those edges are a little duller you mm -hmm. know but there's st it's still there okay but i just had to make the decision that my mental health is more important so it just means i need to work harder at my writing i would rather work harder at writing to get the same results as before than be miserable all the time yeah that's, uh, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's some truth so right there. Do you mind if I ask? So when you wrote Project Hail Mary, were you on these meds? Yeah. Then you have nothing yeah, to worry about. And also Artemis. Yeah. Okay, you have yeah. nothing to worry about. Those You're were, fine. Yeah. <laughs> You're cured. I, thank you. I'm cured. I guess I can stop. No, yeah. don't ever stop. Well, I'll tell you. No, I never stop. Uh, well, I will tell you one thing. 
Like so, my wife and I had a baby. Um, Congratulations! Uh, have, thank you. He's 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 my everything. He's my little man. Um, he's 21 months old now, coming on 22 months. So a little long in the tooth to be starting the game, but I've I've wanted to be a dad ever since I was in my 20s. That's the thing I've always known that I wanted to do. Just took me a long time to find a woman who will put up with my shit. Um, <laughs> And you need a woman to make babies. I looked it up. So, um, yeah, that's your next book. Yeah, that's my. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a baby. And of course, having a baby, as you both know, it just completely screws with your sleep schedule, mm-hmm. your your everything. And I ended up just by by accident, just missing my meds like three nights in a row. Ooh. Like, so I take them. I even have an alarm to remind me to take them on my phone. Okay, take your meds. It's just once a day. You know, I take them usually at night. And just for whatever reason, I had failed to take them for three nights in a row and not not really noticed. It's just been so busy with the baby. And, and we had a dog that also had some health problems. And mm. at the time, I was just like, I was dizzy and I was like unfocused. And I couldn't figure mm. out what was going on. And I just felt like, like I felt like vertigo. I was yeah. just like, Oh, what the hell? And then I, I was out walking the dog and I just started to like go into this state of like panic and crying mm. for like no reason. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And like, I, I, I'm like, I don't even think I can drive because of these dizzy spells. And Ashley's like, that's my wife. It's like, well, you have to call your doctor. You have to find out what's going on. And I called my doctor and she's like, taking your meds. Oh. That's all she like, said? Well, yeah, of course. I'm yeah. d- Actually. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's like the, the, the computer missed, support guy. Like, I've missed like in. the last three days of my meds. Mm. She's like, okay, just get back on them. Don't take more. Don't, don't, don't try to make don't up for up. the missed time. Just resume your meds. So <laughs> Ashley sounds like. Ashley sounds like she has become a little bit of that trained professional when you break your femur. Uh, well, I mean, well, no, this was my doctor who told me. Oh, that. sorry, sorry. Ashley, so okay. Ashley is my wife, and, right. and she said, "Call your doctor." Right. Okay. There's but, something wrong. But to that yeah. point, I guess to that point, yeah. I, I want to talk about the relationship that you have with your wife and that she has with your neurodiversity because we talk about this a lot. How important is it to to partner with someone and to be as honest as possible with what's going on with your brain to make that relationship work? When we were dating, I I explained all this stuff yeah. to her. Like, I mean, so. She she knew what she was getting into. Yeah. I mean, we all have our own stuff, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. so I'm I'm wondering as someone who has walked with anxiety and you know, you're you're putting out these really I don't know, I would imagine we published a book but it's in the non-fiction space and it was very anxiety inducing to know that people would read about words yeah. that I wrote. Something about creating a video on the internet I don't know. You scroll past it, it kind of disappears. But a book, people can read it and it's, they can hold it and touch it and see it. And it just felt so vulnerable to and me. And they can talk about and it and talk. tell you how much it sucks. Right. So what is that yeah. like pub- hitting, you know, publish on a, not hitting publish. You don't hit publish. Well, yeah. It's published. <laughs> on a, when it goes into stores, like what is that anxiety like? 
How do you uh, deal with that? Tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's extremely nerve wracking. Um, Now, obviously, the Martian had this overwhelmingly positive response that was very validating for me. It made me feel very good about myself. But yeah, it's scary. And, yeah. you know, I can I can read a thousand positive reviews of one of my books and uh, one negative review. You're describing my wife. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'll just be like, ah, crushed. You're like, I shouldn't do this anymore. You're, they're right. Yeah, right. They're right. Clearly, I'm, I'm they're clearly yeah. they're on. Oh, and I've got imposter syndrome coming out of every or you, of wait, body. wait a yeah. second. You have imposter syndrome. Of course. What? Big please, time. please talk more about that. Please tell me well, how. <laughs> so let's see. I wrote The Martian and it out of nowhere is a hit. And I'm like, okay, I don't know why this book, which is basically a long string of algebra word problems, became popular. <laughs> I don't know what I did right. The character also, while he cracks jokes, has zero depth. Like all the things you're supposed to do in a book, I didn't do, right? Like Mark Watney is the same person at the end of the book as he was at the beginning. He undergoes no growth, no change, <laughs> nothing. And also he has no depth. You don't know anything about him. After reading the entire book, all you know about Mark Watney is he's smart. He's pretty brave. Didn't want to die. That's it. No, he loved Iron Man. He, 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 like, he, yeah, hated, 19, he hated 1980s disco music. We knew a lot of what he didn't like. 70s, yeah. 70s. Nice, sorry, uh, 1970s. Yeah, we, yeah. we knew something. Yeah, but like superficial things. Like, you don't know if he had like... A woman waiting for him back home or a man. Oh, you don't know anything <laughs> about him. So, okay. Now did that you, you bring it up, you're yeah. right. Yeah, but, but, did you but need it still to? was amazing. Yeah. No, I didn't need to. So the thing is, I'm a very, very plot driven author, much less character driven. But I do consider that a weakness in my writing, that my characters are very flat and two dimensional. And so I'm always working on that because I think, like, hey, people like my plots. Imagine if I had deep and complex characters to go along with that, how much better my stuff would be, right? I'm gonna Ken just, has raised his hand Yeah, right I'm going to retort, okay. dude. I, I just, I'm sorry. I, and look, we deal with imposter syndrome all the time. We don't understand why people like us. <laughs> um, I, like, it, quite a bit. Uh, and we, Well, we, you're just both pretty hot, I think. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Um, I really hope it's I mean, not I'm just, just, I mean, I'm just going to play. I'm going to cut that portion and I'm yeah. just going to play it over and over yeah. and over again. No, You're I have just like hot. I mean, <laughs> once again, it's a I'm going to put you, I'm going to put you on that list pen with, um, you know, well, okay. Let me keep before I pass out from, uh, <laughs> yeah. from this uh, yeah. feeling that I'm having right now in his bathing suit area, <laughs> in my okay. private parts. No, so no, I, I really do think Andy, like, and I want to talk about the Make most, we re- feel yeah, funny exactly. when my bathing suit covers. <laughs> You you wrote a you wrote a, a an alien into existence in Project Hail Mary that I think is one of the most dy- it's definitely the most dynamic alien that I've ever oh, uh, read about and I think it's one of the most dynamic characters and I also have a theory that in his name's Rocky looks like a giant tarantula is the best way to explain him but yep. I believe that he had ADHD, like the good kind. Like I believe <laughs> I highly functional I know that you've ADHD. Seen the, yeah, yeah, you mentioned that in the emails yeah. as we were getting set up. It's funny you should mention that. I, I had a, a concept for Rocky. Of course, Iridian, that's his species, mm-hmm. for those who haven't read the book. Iridians are a completely alien species. They developed, you know, they evolved from the ground up on another planet. They're not 
well, we later find out they are extraordinarily distantly related to um, us in that Earth and their home world were both seeded with life by a panspermia event four billion years ago. But Oh my gosh, Kenny's like jumping up and down right now for those listening. And I, I'm like, yes, I kind of <laughs> got it totally done. Okay. I'm under, yeah. I'm following. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Go. Yeah. 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 Evolved from the ground up. So their brains don't necessarily have to have any correlation to how our brains work. How they work, like they would have evolved to deal with their environment. We evolved to deal with ours, right? It's interesting you say he has ADHD because in a way he does. I deliberately intended for Iridians to be... Um, like they are much better at multitasking than humans are. So I had already decided that, that they, they have a difficult time concentrating on a single thing because they are used to doing multiple things at once. And this all comes from the fact that they have a 360 degree perception of their environment and five independent limbs that they can, that are all as nimble as your dominant hand. And so they can do they can have a conversation with you while also concentrating on doing a task mm. and the one thing doesn't take from the other things concentration i was actually thinking of like like if i ever wrote a sequel like that iridians when interacting with each other can have multiple conversations simultaneously like so they're so these two iridians will be talking about two or three things at the same time. So they'll be maintaining multiple conversation oh, threads. That makes my armpit sweat even <laughs> just thinking about it. I, my anxiety like, cannot. <laughs> and so, you know, they'll, and, and so I was going to, I was going to do the conversations. I was going to split into multiple two columns uh, in the text. So they're having these conversations at, at the same time. And then maybe they link up, you know, somewhere. Down so if you imagine, if you imagine just like Rocky and his mate, Adrian, you know, are just <laughs> had, talking about a, just a normal day, not even like anything big or important. It's like, you know, they would have one conversation. It's like, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? And also, oh, we need to fix the, you know, we need to fix this, this wall in the house. So, okay, well, yeah, so I was thinking we might do this for dinner. Oh, yeah. And also we're going to need to get some supplies to fix the wall. You know, just... Just, just imagine the mundane conversations you two have as a couple just going through your lives and having multiple of them at the same time. And that's completely normal. So You're I describing my family's I, dinner table. I was going to say, yeah. also, I feel like this is the influence of you having a toddler at the house. Because, um, no. Well, I, I finished Project Hail Mary before uh, our baby oh, was born. Okay. In fact, by some coincidence, uh, the book, you know, Project Hail Mary came out about three weeks before he did. Oh, <laughs> so what is that like? Then? I mean, how does having this little guy around? First of all, I really hate it when they ask, like, how do you balance it all? Like to working moms as if like there aren't dads, yeah. like, why aren't we asking right. that to dads? But as I'm assuming you need to be pretty dialed into a project to make things work. How does yeah. having like what how does a toddler uh, around change that process? Well, one thing that helps and I, I recommend this to anybody is to have a whole lot of money. Um, highly recommend so so i really recommend having like a, a lot of money so right. I, I don't you know i don't know why you know so basically stop being poor um right. no so in short we have a nanny yeah. so like we, we have a nanny that helps take care of our baby all day long we don't just like you know 
you know, screw off. And we're, we're, you're active parents. Of course. Yeah, we're active parents. But you have a wife. job and this is your job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So my wife takes care of my, my, the nanny is the bulk of the caretaking of the, of, of our toddler during the day. My wife is involved, like, like, you know, she's making his meals. She's doing that. Yeah. Like the nanny would do that, but my wife just, well, Ashley just wants to do that. Yeah. Right. And then they call me in for backup when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I work from home. I'm, I'm, I have a home office. And so they'll, they'll be like, okay, we had a poop. Need your help. Chase that. It's three alarm poop. Yep. Yep. We had a blowout <laughs> or it's bath time. It kind of takes all three of us to give them a bath. Oh my God. Um, that sort of thing. Yeah. And you said you have kids, right? We have yes. kids. We have a 16 okay. year old girl and a 13 year old boy. Whole new, whole new world. Yes. Yeah. Well, at least, at least with them, they, they, they probably actively avoid you. So that makes it a little easier, right? <laughs> I will say my, my, so my advice, not advice, but my sort of word of warning to people with toddlers is first of all, it's, it's a lovely, crazy time. It was such a blur, especially with what was happening with my mental health. But, um, I would say as much as they, you think they need you as a toddler, they need you more as teens. Yeah. And, but it just happens in such condensed moments because they're at school and then, you know, my daughter has a track meet, so I won't really, I'll go to watch her track meet, but I don't see her till seven. But when I'm in the car with her till, from seven to seven fifteen, and then sitting with her at dinner from seven fifteen to seven forty five, and then she's up in a room studying or whatever, but that, those like 45 minutes, a lot of parenting it's like very intense. Good. It, it's good. Oh, and, it's, and it's not just what you say. It's how you say it. Yeah. There are, uh, there are layers of complexity, but I wouldn't trade, honestly, like I wouldn't trade this the teens stage are my for, favorite. yeah, it's fantastic. You're like, I, anyone who tells you, well, good luck when they go through puberty, man, just going to, you know, get a shotgun on your porch for your daughter or whatever. Like don't, don't subscribe to any of that. My mind's a boy. So you're good. Well, yeah, I but, just need I mean, to worry about it wrecking the, the car right, kind of thing. Different, yeah. Well, boys are the I, – I feel like boys are – it's such and you a – have a boy. Right? Yeah, they're so, yeah. so different. And he's, you know, 13, and then he was, like, during the pandemic, like, hit during a weird developmental time. So mm. – um, but that, too, is, like, I feel like we're just, like, on the record more because I can remember being yeah. 13 and remember, yeah. like, the weirdness of being 13. That sucks to be like go from age eleven to thirteen during the pandemic. Yeah, right? it was tough. basically it's it like, tough. hey, I really like girls. Well, you can't you see any. Can't. And, I know. And so developmentally, <laughs> I feel as if our kids are kind of two years behind socially. All kids, yeah. like all, all kids. Fortunately anyway. for us, our baby was born during the pandemic, so it's You're all at home anyway. You know, it's not going to, yeah, he's home all the time anyway. We were stuck in the house with him anyway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. The one thing that did suck, the thing that did suck, and this is just purely emotional, so it's just, it doesn't matter that much, but, like, I couldn't go to the ultrasounds with my wife. Oh, like, that does suck. Yeah, they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let really? me. It, yeah. yeah per, so, at that time, it was the height of the pandemic, so it's like, the patient goes in and sees a doctor, but you can't, you know, bring your husband with you. And Were so you? I didn't get to see the ultrasounds as they have. I mean, she she would come out and bring me the little printouts of the pictures yeah. and stuff like that, which is cool. But I didn't get to see yeah. the, you know, the the live the live feed. Um, the live but feed. you were able to be in the room when he was born. Yes, 
by that e- even during the pandemic they they would let husbands into the delivery room i feel like there was a few weeks where they didn't i feel like i heard well that, that was very early about, days that was like it, yeah well as a woman who's had given birth twice i'm sure you know it's it's all about the well-being of of the mom mm-hmm. and also keeping her calm my whole job there was to you know hold her hand and mm. you know kind of be there as moral support but the weirdest thing for me was and i'm sure you Penn, probably you went through this too it's like she has the baby they immediately take him away they give him like a vitamin b shot because he was premature and or vitamin k, k or vitamin yeah. something yeah whatever a vitamin yes uh, a vitamin and then a steroid shot to make sure that his lungs, lungs develop yeah. well because he was a bit of a preemie. And also, I want to start getting that batting average up early. And then they, you know, they they get them all cleaned up and everything like that. They wrap them up in a blanket. They hand them to me and then they cart my wife off and they send me into the hall. And I'm like, where is he? Okay, now it's just me yeah. and, a baby. and this newborn. <gasps> this seems really irresponsible of you. <laughs> yeah. To do this, to just hand me a baby and then run away. What was the baby's response? <laughs> At first, he was like screaming, mm-hmm. but then once they, you know, finished all their hassling of him and wrapped him up, he's just, you know, he's a larva. He's, he's just like, yeah. Well, there's that yeah. swaddle that basically, and they're like, yeah, oh, it just makes yeah. him feel safe. But really, it's just yeah. a straitjacket. Like, yeah, with the baby's like Aww. this. Yeah, he's like a little baby burrito, and yeah. I'm just like holding him, and I'm like, okay. I do remember that first night in the hospital with our first child. Like, you're just gonna leave her here with us. You know, yeah. like, are you sure? I don't, I, cause I'm like, is there a test you need us to take? Because I'm not sure I would pass it. It was horrifying. It was so, we had I, no idea what we were doing. I need a license to drive a car, yes. but to unleash a human on society. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I know. We, um, I feel like we, Lola loves it. I mean, we've, we've stopped calling her this, but we call her a lot like the first pancake. Cause you know, the first pancake yeah. is, is yeah. always like, you know, it's a, well, that's how I describe my first book. Yeah. The one that no <laughs> the, one's seen. The first pancake. Okay. So Lola was the first pancake. So by number two, we were like, okay, we know sort of how to make a baby stop crying. I, I'm sure that Lola really appreciates that. And <laughs> I'm sure Lola's like, Oh, I'm the yeah, no, I'm the one you made. Uh, you, you, I, I'm the one that you consider to be the completely, you know, no, I don't think, up yeah. one that you did everything wrong on. I'll be honest. I don't think she cares. I think she just wants to be the first. Yeah. She's, I think she yeah. she wears that around like a badge being the big sister. She and she's so she's like high. Yeah. She's very typical high achieving firstborn. So yeah. she's she, like, yeah, she's like, I yeah. just she wants to remind your son of, of the Ex- importance of primogeniture. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yes. Yes. I'm trying to think of a good way to segue out of this. I think I got one. Okay, it, got it's it. pretty bad. It. It's actually pretty bad. Let's hear it. OK. Uh, we, we can't wait to hear what's next with you in your parenting journey we'd also love to know what's next with you in your writing <laughs> what are you working on? i know we got we're, we're a bunch of parents talking about kids that'll last all day right yeah. um yeah uh so I, so the 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 baby it, i basically took uh a couple of years off from uh doing anything because taking care of a baby yeah um I'm back to it now. Uh, so for me, I'm in that phase where I, I have an idea. I'm working it. I've, I've got about ten thousand words in, and I'm. But I'm in that part of the project where I'm like, well, I think this might suck, mm. and and I don't know, and I'm going to need to just keep working it for a while. But yeah, I, I I'm I'm feeling insecure about it. Everybody and their dog wants me to write a Project Hail Mary sequel. I understand that. 
Un- okay, so The Martian is unsequelable. You right. can't make yeah. a sequel to that. It's like, oh, can you believe this guy's luck? Now he's stuck on Venus. You know, no, yeah. it doesn't doesn't work. Uh, um, and Artemis didn't. I mean, actually, it sold very well, but it's not it's not the thing that I'm known for. And I did actually pitch an idea for a sequel to Artemis, and my editor's like, eh. Don't you love that? Project Hail Mary. Now there's a thing there's. that does. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Gosling. If you're feeling sequely. <laughs> First of all, I love that you said uh, the word unsequelable. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. I, and, and I do want to explain just to the to the listeners who have not read Project Hail Mary, but it does end with what could be potentially another adventure. Yeah, you could. So Project Hail Mary is very sequelable. Yeah. Except for. I can't quite get all the moving parts together the way I want. Um, if, if you know, so a lot of people say like, hey, I'd really love a story about what was going on on Earth while Grace and Rocky were doing their yeah. stuff. And I'm like, okay, the problem is like, if I wrote a sequel to Project Hail Mary that didn't have Rocky in it, they'd be like at my door with pitchforks and... and so yes. I, as advice to aspiring writers... I just want people to hear that, that there's there's a part in every project, but I would imagine more it's exacerbated on the pages of a book. There's a part yeah. where you're doubting everything and you think it sucks, right? Yes. So if I may name drop a bit. So I, uh, I, 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 let's see. Well, I was in Albuquerque to shoot a pilot for a TV show that never got picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hung out a lot with George R.R. R. Martin because he lives in Santa oh, Fe. Wow. Right. So it was fun hanging out with George. And I saw him as something of a mentor, you know. And and so, you know, I was talking to him and I was like, and he's like, how's it going? And at that point, I was just, um, I think at that point, I was working on Artemis. And I'm like, well, you know, my, you know, the Martian went great. I'm working on my next book, but I just kind of feel like that I actually suck. And that, like, I've written my last good book and that they're all going to suck from now on. And he's like, well, uh, if it makes you feel any better, that never goes away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so yes, if it you makes write you feel 20 better. chart-topping hits in a row, when you're working on your 21st one, you'll be like, this is the one that's going to ruin me. Uh, I didn't know it's oddly comforting, but yeah. also terrifying. And coming from yeah. George R. R. Martin, I just I love hearing that from him because I, I think anyone who who either reads or watches Game of Thrones remembers that there was this like rabid appetite for it where everyone was just staring at him like right right faster. I think Weird Al did like a, a parody and an award show like right faster, right faster, right faster, right faster, right faster. And, and I can't I can't imagine that pressure from for anybody. So I, I, it sounds like you're saying that you're. I don't I don't know that you're in that right now, but you kind of are. Well, uh, I I don't really have the. I mean, yes, fans are like, oh man, I want you to hurry up and write another book. I, I, I'm thrilled, but it's not like uh, it's not like the sort of hassling that uh, that George would get, right? right? Because they're obsessed with a a story that is not finished. And exactly. They're like, we want to see how this ends. Whereas for me, people are like, I like your writing. I'm looking forward to the next thing. Hurry up and make it happen. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> question we often ask our guests: Do you have a favorite karaoke song? Do you karaoke? Are you karaoke? I mean, I, I, I sing along with songs on the radio. It I counts. don't go out of my way to karaoke. I do like singing. Um, my wife doesn't like my singing. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I've noticed something about myself that 
I thought everybody had, but I guess just me or another. There is almost always a song in my head. There's almost always background music going on in my head. And it'll be based on some visual clue or something like that that I saw or a sequence of notes I heard from something else or a conversation I had. It'll be something will seed a song in my head in in my head and like you know are you sure you don't have adhd or at least like a little like a little i don't know but there's always there's always like a background music track going on in my head at any given moment you can usually ask me what it is and uh this is a sad story but like many years ago my cat died uh it it was not unexpected he was um very very ill uh, he was 17 years old we all have that one pet that's the special one yeah. that's like stands out above the end he, he was that he was that pet and i was like holding him in my arms and i knew i was gonna have to take him to put him down and the music stopped and that was like like i would consciously aware for the first time in god knows how long that there wasn't background music in my head do you have pen do you have background music yes i I, this is i've never Uh, i've never heard this before so andy mine is not an actual song that's been written it's something that hasn't been Mm. most of the time it's usually something uh a lot of times it's just something that's noodling just notes um, but, oh. but sometimes it's, it's a, it's one that I am thinking about for me. It's usually just like, if I'm driving, I'll usually have my radio on then whatever song was playing <laughs> when I stopped the car will run through my head, but then I'll like see something that'll make me, I'll, I'll glance up, I'll see this chandelier and I'll be thinking of see his chandelier yeah. yep. until something else. And that's just in your brain as you're talking to people, as you're kind going- of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right now, if you're curious, it's Please Please Me by the Beatles. Ah. Oh. Because yeah, I was uh, earlier on, my wife is like, oh, I got to do this thing. Can you please, please go and take care of this other thing? And so since then, it's been Please Please Me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, this is, I, I am fascinated by this. I've never heard this before. And I did. I, I guess I could, because Penn is a musician. I guess I could assume. Oh, that well, that music makes playing. sense. Yeah, like makes that sense. would make perfect sense that you would have music yeah. in your head. I more think of his brain that it just looks like like the Looney Tunes, just like cartoon <laughs> characters. You guys everywhere. are all just a bunch of Muppets. Yes, that we yeah, actually yeah, are yeah. like fuzzy hair and have purple skin. You see skin. us the way that, what was it, that Abed sees people? Is that yes. what it was? Uh, um, or who was it? Where Kenneth, there was a show with. Kenneth and 30 Rock. I don't know if you watched Penis 30 Rock. And 30 Rock, yeah. yes. Yeah. I, I remember there was a scene where you saw... Well, I think you're awfully special, Kenneth. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's, yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. we that's that's our second super random pop reference that we've made together, Andy and I. The first one was the Underground Sugar Caves. And, and the yes. second one is Kenneth from 30 and Rock. Now I think we I should think get an apartment together. The immortal intern. <laughs> and, yeah. and now you're going to get an apartment together. And uh, I'll, yeah. I'll touch base with Ashley. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll figure out childcare. Um, right. I do want to say, like, you definitely, um, Kim said beforehand, she's like, are you nervous about meeting your 
your hero because there are those horror stories where you meet the hero and they suck. Um, so Hitler was okay, I guess. <laughs> built some good That's roads. what you find out from. Yeah. He built oh, some God. good roads. No, um, I want to talk to you. I want to spend the rest of this interview talking about who really did 9 11. Uh, let me tell you, it's an ethnicity and it's not the one you And there we go. He is terrible, you guys. And he's awful. And he is terrible. But it is interesting because yeah. you never know. As suspected. You, you never know, even for anyone who's listening who. Uh, who isn't me that just like you look at the authors on a jacket cover and they're always like they have they they have like a look about themselves where you feel like they're gonna say like like that's gonna be the first thing that they say um and hi andy pleasure to meet you (laughs) yeah something like yeah i don't know you like you're definitely not that person you're you're uh, pretty friendly and it's so funny because well, thank you. you you have this in, you you admitted to having this imposter syndrome because as you broke down for us like all of your stories are kind of science based but you inject so much of your personality whether that's through struggles that you had or through um, sad times or good times or just self-awareness or self-deprecation in every character that you have and that's what gives it the depth in my opinion oh well thank you yeah that's I mean that self-deprecation is you know my own feelings of inadequacy (laughs) um i think one of the things that you know it's weird like in hollywood circles people are people i I have a reputation as being very easy to work with i think that's just because i'm a normal person and i think i owe that to having success come so so late in life like i was i was in my mid-40s or so when the martian you know hit it big and so I had 45 years or so of life making sure I understood that I was just, you know, some guy. Yeah, right? you, yeah, you didn't experience, I, in, uh, to your point, like all, it helps to have a lot of money. You didn't have that until late in life. So, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I grew up poor. Like parents changed their phone number frequently to avoid creditors. And uh, yeah, yeah, we were we were we were very poor when I was a kid. I mean, I think that is probably why you're easy to work with and easy to talk to, don't you think? I don't know. I don't know. I I, I have lived in the real world, I guess mm. you could say. My therapist says, anxiety is basically OCD, but instead of trying to control everything in your environment, you're trying to control the future. Mm. So it's OCD about time. Ah. It's like... You're like, so a a person with OCD might be like, I need the kitchen to be completely clean. And if if even somebody so much as touches a doorknob, I have to go clean the doorknob. It's like you have to have complete and total control over your physical environment if you have OCD. Well, anxiety is just OCD about your future. You have to have complete and total control over your future, which means you sit there planning, over planning, spending way too much time thinking about what do I do if this happens? What do I do if this happens? Worrying about this, worrying about that trying to make sure you have every possible case covered. And of course, there is no way to do that. But if I worry about it enough, then I'm prepared for every scenario, Andy. Right. Yes. That's the the flawed logic that that accompanies anxiety. And yeah, and so it really sucks. And of course, the people who, such as myself, who have that problem – who over plan and go crazy on that stuff are, are the, are the least equipped emotionally to handle it when things do go awry. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so you're like, you planned for every scenario, but you didn't account for this one thing. And then that one thing happens. And then you're like, oh my God, now what? It's the equivalent of, you know, someone with OCD and someone just goes and throws a bunch of tar in the middle of their living room. You know, it's, it's like. No, that's, it's a really good analogy and does, yeah. does, does kind of wrap up how my brain works for sure. Mm. Okay, it has been an hour and ten minutes. I, I I would I would have been happy for five minutes. Thank you for giving us so much of your time, Andy. Oh my We're really gosh. grateful. And um, I will uh, I'll send you links of apartments, and we'll work this out. We'll work out visitation. We'll work out visitation. Yeah, yeah. Um, this has been a joy. Thank you so much oh, for being. Thanks for having me. No, but just for being so honest about your process. It's a very inspiring story because your success happened late in life. So thank you. Well, I would say uh, one other thing I would say to anyone, since your focus yeah. is on kind of neurodivergence, is um, Terry Fisher was a big inspiration to me. We were going to be at the same convention, and I always get to be in the green room, you know, yeah. so I was really looking forward to meeting her, and she passed away Aww. about three weeks before that happened. I really wish I could have met her because I would have thanked her for her book. She wrote a book called Wishful Drinking which I recommend to everyone. And it's about her struggles with bipolar disorder and it's about her life and stuff like that. And when I read that, it made me go like, wow, she had it much worse than I do. Mm -hmm. And she was successful. So it's it's not a death sentence to your productivity or to your ability to accomplish things in life to have these problems. Wow. That's so, really, yeah. To any of your listeners who feel a certain level of hopelessness for being neurodivergent, I would recommend they read that book. It's called Wishful Drinking. It's by Carrie Fisher. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna add it to cart right now. Thank you. That was Andy Weir. Penn, how are you feeling? I, I think you did a better job interviewing him than I did because I just, I wanted to like blurt out, yeah, but like, do you remember the SNL skit when Chris Farley is interviewing Paul McCartney? Yes. And all he wants to be is like, you, you remember when you said the love you take is easier than the love you make? <laughs> that, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so I felt a little bit like Chris Farley. So I'm glad you were there. I, my prediction came true. You guys have this like great connection and you have a ton in common. And I actually just enjoyed watching that. Um, he's a cool dude. Like he's, he's not so cool. He's like, I, I'm glad I met my hero. Yes. The fact, okay. We didn't have this recording. So afterwards. We, we, okay. We hit stop. Yeah. And we, he, uh, we were like, and it was we just nice. chit chatted. Yeah. And we're like, it was nice to meet you, Andy. And he says back to us with a total straight face. It was nice to meet you too. discount Kelly and Ryan. It was the funniest, best compliment. We are the dupe version of Kelly and Ryan. Not even dupe. Dupe is one thing. Discount is a stretch lower, and it was a very good burn. Hilarious. Very good burn. Um, But he was, you know, I loved, you don't want anybody to struggle. I don't want anybody to struggle. But there's some sort of odd comfort in knowing this person who has experienced critical and commercial success struggles yeah. with the creative process. So it, I found it oddly inspiring. I think um, everyone will. Yeah. Right. Doesn't everybody, and I don't know about everybody. I do know a lot of people who want to write books mm-hmm. or stories or even start making videos on the internet or, I mean, and just the getting started is there's this fear of, of everything. Right. And even the best feel yeah. that way, not only back in the day, but right now. Yeah. Like he's, he's dealing with that right now. 
It's fascinating. Um, anyway, you guys, if you made it to the end of this podca- podcast, you know what to do. You send us a screenshot. You, you hit me up on Instagram. Instagram. I send us a message and tag us because uh, I love to reply to those messages. And so many of you do. And I love you for it. So anyway, hope you guys have a good day. I love you. Bye. Bye.